0: This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, was recorded on location at Brooklyn Kura in Brooklyn, New York. We had the opportunity to meet Brian and Brandon, the owners of Brooklyn Cura. We also spoke to John Gauntner and Monica Samuels. It was an incredible night of sake tasting and meeting an amazing array of sake producers who represented breweries from Japan. We hope that you enjoy this latest episode. Please take a moment to subscribe subscribe. And make sure you're notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Stop by Brooklyn Cora and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Come <coughs> pie! You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure@gmail.com. At All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Brooklyn Cora, a sake brewery. I'm here with Brandon, master distiller. Brandon, how are you? I'm uh, good. I'm actually a
1: master brewer. Master brewer, yeah. So that's like that's the very first misconception about uh, sake. Um, A lot of people like like if you could see our space, it's it's a tap room, but it's also an educational space because if we're going to succeed in like pushing sake as a thing in the United States, um, we have to be an educational space.
0: I am so glad I made that first mistake (laughs) because this way, what it does is it it brings that educational point because I'm the same way. We go to distilleries, meaderies, cideries, breweries, but we never think of sake as a brewer.
1: Yeah, right. I, I mean, I, I think I can tell you uh, sort of the origin of how like that's most people think that sake is a distilled spirit, and I, and, I, and I think the reason they think that is because uh, in Japan um, sake is served in a small cup, um, and that is so that the host can refill uh, the the cups frequently of uh, of the guests. You know they 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 want to be uh, they want to be good hosts. It comes from the hospitality culture. Yeah. So, but it looks like a shot glass. Okay. So it's so Americans or people outside of Japan associate that with something like a, like a vodka shot or and so um, I think that's that's probably where that originated from.
0: So we were talking a little bit about your experience and how you became a sake brewer or a master brewer of sake. Tell me about your origin story.
1: So um, I I come from a research science background. I've just been a scientist my whole life. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oregon, mostly. Um, Most most recently Portland, before I came out here to Brooklyn. Um, And uh, I met my business partner in Japan, um, and we wandered into a traditional sake brewery. um, And I've always had uh, fermentation as a hobby. I've, I've, you know made beer, I've made wine, even soy sauce. Um, but then I saw like some of the equipment used to make sake at a very traditional brewery, and it really fascinated me, so we, we both Brian, my partner, and I started learning more about it. Uh, we started fantasizing about it, and, and then uh, for a couple of years, and it just slowly became more and more real, and the next thing I knew, I moved out to Brooklyn and changed careers. So what was your previous career? I'm a research scientist, so I helped develop drugs for sort of cancer, AIDS, uh, heart disease. Okay.
0: And do you remember the name of the sake brewery that you first do? right first? We
1: actually don't. We, we know the general area where it was. And so we're going to have to make a pilgrimage back someday and, and visit it.
0: Why Brooklyn? Why Brooklyn for you? What's, what makes this area so uh, special? I mean, this is the industry city yeah, we're in. Yeah. This is fabulous. If you haven't been to Brooklyn, if you haven't been to industry city... You're almost on alcohol distiller row. There's a brewery. There's a brewery. There's a distillery. There's another distillery. There's much
1: more things opening up. So Industry City was uh, sort of planned and and owned by the same people who did Chelsea Markets in Manhattan. And the whole concept is uh, sort of a maker retailer. So you can see things being made and buy them. So like our place is pretty visual. So you can see us working in the back. And you can come in the tap room. It's, it's pretty open. And, and it's many of the other companies around here are the same way. So it's a real kind of maker vibe and community here.
0: So what stands out for you about sake? What's, what's the passion? What draws you to
1: that? Uh, honestly, so, I mean, just to back up. So, you know, I was a research scientist, which is which is uh, pretty straightforward. Like, you do things for a reason. And there's no, like, it's hard to say that, you know, it's not like cooking or anything. Um, you you do things because that's how they are done. It's very logical. I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, so I needed hobbies to sort of be more artistic and free. So I, I, I would like look at a recipe for brewing a beer say at home and then I would just do what I wanted. So it was a way to turn that logical part of my brain off. I would just do it until it tasted good instead of like writing down all the numbers
0: so for some people it could be model work it could be woodwork for you yeah it was setting up and
1: brewing sake yeah sure so so uh that um, was your relief that was that yeah. was a way to kind of so, get your mind away to something else so i've always been into fermentation and when i started learning more about sake like sake i would posit that sake has the most unique fermentation process in the world um this always like I love telling Talk about beer, the fermentation yeah. process. Why is that so unique? So I, I love telling beer people about this, but I, I tell beer people that we mash and ferment at the same time. So, so sake consists of four ingredients. It consists of uh, water, uh, rice that's been soaked and steamed, rice that's been soaked and steamed and converted to something called koji, and yeast. Koji is a very important thing. Uh, koji is used in a variety of foods and beverages. It's used to make soy sauce... It's used to make miso um, and a, a whole bunch of distilled spirits as well. So the, the strain that we use is called Aspergillus oryzae, and and so I take about 20% of all the rice that's going to go into a batch, uh, and I inoculate that with this with this mushroom. Essentially, it's a fungus, it's a mold. Okay. Um, and it takes about 48 hours for it to fully cover and 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 penetrate into the rice. And what I'm basically doing is I'm making uh, each each grain of rice is sort of a time capsule of amylase. So that's where I get my... I'm going to get my sugar, right? So in wine, all the sugar is already on the grape. In beer, the sugar comes from mashing the grains. I, I kind of grow this little time capsule of amylase and I put it in the tank um, along with more steamed rice and more water and then the yeast. And then it, at, at very cold temperatures, um, you know, beer is beer is mashed at like 140, 150 degrees, um, we, we spend about a month at about 45 degrees and the amylase works very slowly and it converts the starch to sugar while the yeast is eating it. So that's how we're able to get up to very high alcohol. Uh, you, like, you, like Sake can max that at maybe 21, 22 percent. Okay. It's because it's, it's slowly being fed uh, the sugar and, and acclimating to its alcohol and it, it can make it up that high. How do you control the area to keep it at 45 degrees? So we use glycol. So tr- traditionally in Japan, sake is only brewed in the winter, and that's for that reason. And, and, that's, and that's mostly because the people who were brewing sake in the winter were seasonal workers. So in the summer, they were fishermen or farmers. So the off-season, they all went to the sake brewery and, and, and made sake.
0: So but it was a lot of family, traditional, so each family had their own sake in different yeah religions? they tend
1: to be they I mean you might talk to John Godner and he, he can tell you a lot more about that um, but yeah that like the sake breweries in Japan uh, tend to be very old and, and, and uh, in the family for many generations and all that knowledge has been hand, handed down over time so that's been a challenge for us because um, you know we're not Japanese um, I've spent a little time at Japanese breweries learning. Um, uh, and tonight we have some brewers from Japan, which is always a great opportunity for me to learn more. Um, but, you know, it's, there, there's a learning curve for us. So what's, what's the future look like for you
0: and the brewery and things that you want to introduce to the American palate that really is not familiar with sake?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, like, number one, I just want to uh, continue to try and make the best sake I possibly can. Um, and and we also have an educational hurdle. And, again, John Goddard is somebody who, who can speak to that more. But, uh, you know, one thing I've noticed, like, I, you know, it's been five years or so since I've really got into sake. And, and the one thing I've noticed is that when someone tries it and they learn a little bit about it, they become very intrigued and, and want to learn more. And, and, and people tend to really get into it.
0: So... Are there ideas and methods that you're looking to bring to the brewery right now? Things that you haven't yet done that you're looking on the horizon to try to yeah. do? Yeah. So I mean,
1: like kicking uh,
0: your beer background and, and a lot of things you've
1: done with other fermentation. What do you think? Yeah. Of? I mean, a little bit. I have to forget about the beer background because um, because sake is different, and a lot of it is just, you know, I'm a brewer now, so like you need to figure out uh, a lot of like logistics and equipment, and it's. It's very, very expensive to, like, get actual Japanese sake brewing equipment, like, imported here. So many of the things we've had to make, you know, I've had to find people who can, who can, like, make my rice steamer and, and like, I have to, you know, come up with drawings and, and work the math to make sure that, like, we're using our space wisely. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you brought a little sample here. What are we trying today? So
1: this is um, our Junmai Ginjo, and it's called Number Fourteen, and this is the name is based on uh, like an early practice batch that just we really really liked. It's our fourteenth batch. Okay. Um, So this is a Junmai Ginjo, Genshu Nama Nama. So I'll walk you through all of those. Please do.
0: Please do. And and you're walking everybody else through too, which is a fantastic opportunity to educate everybody on the podcast
1: so so junmai uh simply means pure rice so it's it's um it means that it has four ingredients it has water rice koji um and yeast okay um so genshu means that um at the beginning of the batch i try and aim for 30 to 35 days later to be at 15 16 alcohol um at the sweetness that we want and that's really difficult because some sakes are made very high alcohol and then they're watered down. Okay. So that's not Genshin. And then nama is something pretty unique here. Namanama means unpasteurized, uh, almost exclusively all the sake you can find outside of Japan that's on a shelf in a store has been pasteurized okay. at least once. Why is that important that it's not pasteurized? It's it's uh, not necessarily important, like, like it's a different kind of style and they're both very good. Pasteurized sake and unpasteurized are good for their own reasons. But mm-hmm. that's just because we are distributing locally, we can you have to keep Nama Nama cold, so we're able to offer that, and it's, it's a unique and uh, different experience for people.
0: So, besides the sweetness that you're looking for, is there another level of different flavor profile in this that you're, you're sure. seeking?
1: Yeah, so, so like, um, sake's sake breweries sort of have a terroir, but it's not really based on the land so much, like, like, uh, wine. It's based on, like, what rice you're using, uh, what your water profile's like, uh, you know, what your tanks physically look like, the shape of your tanks, and and then the temperature profiles that you're fermenting at. All of those things come together and and produce the final taste and final aroma.
0: What you're saying is you can take this whole setup, move it back to Oregon, where you came from, because the water's different, and maybe you're sourcing the rice differently. It could be a totally different or nuancedly different flavor profile. Sure. When you're when you're brewing this and you're in in process of making this, what, what is it you want to you know what is it you're looking for to taste? If we if we taste this and try this, what is it you're looking for? The so the I mean nose I mean
1: on a, a on a technical level, um, we sample. So say I'm, I'm brewing a batch of ginjo mm-hmm. and that's going to take thirty to thirty-five days. Every day we're sampling and we're measuring the gravity. We're measuring the progression of uh, the the sugar disappearing and the alcohol coming up. We're measuring the alcohol, and uh, we're measuring the total acidity. So you know, part of our learning curve too has been, and like, we're like, we need to have like real world experience to when we when we say, okay, let's do these numbers and try and get there. What, what does that taste like? Right. You know, like, how, do we like that sake? So you know, like I was saying, there there are breweries in Japan that are 450 years old. Uh, they have a like a a style, a house style. Um and I think like maybe a luxury that we have being Americans that we're not so tied to that and, and so we're definitely trying to take time to be experimental and uh, and like figure out what our style is. Like figure out you know, there's a lot of variables and levers to pull and, and, and so we're exploring that right now. And That's it's, fabulous. It's yeah. exciting. It's
0: it really is and you know, being from an American perspective, we don't have this, so you're really Introducing, educating, and being able to translate to um, the American palate what sake is really supposed to be, besides really what you get in a Japanese restaurant, heated in a carafe, which I think most Americans or most American palates, and that's what they're familiar with. Yeah, right? and
1: and it's I mean we do surprise a lot of people because that's true. Most of the sake that people can get their hands on is of a um, you know say lower quality or it's like it's more quickly and cheaply made right. and it's not made it's made to have alcohol essentially uh and frequently that's why it's heated is to push whatever aroma might be there up and, and, and so you can sense it. yeah that's fascinating so uh usually we we frequently get people in the tap room who taste it who like they've never tasted anything like that um so i mean there's a lot of people to educate and there's a lot of people that have never had any exposure to it so it's a i think it's a Going to be a growing market
0: well i appreciate doing that and what you're doing and you know, is there a, is there a toast we
1: should do well, i do cheers but traditionally it's pie
0: yeah. i love the sweetness i taste a little melon to it a little orange on the tongue
1: yeah this is this i just pulled this off of we just settled this we pressed it settled it and filtered it we're about to package it so before it goes into bottles i pulled a little off the tank
0: i mean you you still get the flavor of rice so that's going to be mm-hmm. present there but you, you get a lot of floral notes to it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's almost like the dryness that sits on the back of the tongue, which I, the whole experience, because you get a different number yeah, of different levels. The, yeah. So that's that's delicious. Is there anything that we've talked about or haven't talked about that you just want to share in the <laughs> few minutes we have left? I know we have the, the whole tasting situation, yeah. the, the party going on. Yeah. I, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to share? I with mean, if,
1: if somebody wants to explore sake, um, and never really has done it before, I mean, A, find out, like, there's very few of us in the U.S. or outside of Japan that are that are making small batch sake. So see if somebody's around you and seek them out. And then I would say look for the word ginjo. Ginjo. Yeah, ginjo is a good starting point. That is like, a, it starts to be a premium sake. Um, and if you have a sake bottle shop in town, you can go in and say, I've I, I just heard about ginjo and, and hopefully they can put you in the right direction. Fabulous. I really want to thank you for your time. This has been great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right.
0: I'm here with John Gauntner. John, tell me about what you do and your experience and your association with Sake. In one short word. (laughs) (laughs) In one short word, would be very, very difficult. Okay. So Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, your experience. Electrical engineering from Cleveland then to Japan.
2: Right. You see the connection, don't you? I do. I
0: really do. I I see exactly how that happened. So, tell me about your experience with Sake and and, and how you grew to love it and and, and the capacity of what you do now.
2: In the most concise way I could explain it, uh, again, originally from Ohio, I was working as an electrical engineer. I was interested in Japan for about 10 peripheral reasons, uh, and I quit my job and went there to teach English in 1988 for a couple of years. Uh, while I was doing that, I got into sake, and I got more into sake, and I got really into sake. Um, so what, what was it that you...
0: Stu- I'm obviously not just being in Japan, but what did what was it about sake that appealed to you?
2: I can tell you that. Uh, it's depth and subtlety, without okay. a doubt. So I didn't really think much of it for the first few months I was there. And then I visited somebody, a coworker, on New Year's Day 1989, and he let me taste five sake. And it was the first time I ever had it not hot... It was the first time I ever had premium stuff. It was the first time I was ever to ever ever able to drink more than one variety. And I was just blown away by the depth, the diversity, the subtlety of it all. So and that was it.
0: You've had the same experience that I had. That I had sake warm and that's all I really had. And then you try something that's a premium sake, and it all of a sudden it, it just becomes such a great transforming experience.
2: Yeah, it's exactly what it was. It really was. I, I clearly remember the first day. Every time I tasted it, it, would morph into something else.
0: Do you remember that first sake that you had? There do, were five of them. There, okay, do you remember one of them or the name of any of them? One What's
2: was it? Oyama, one was Urukasuni, one was Madano Ume, one was Kasabotan, and the last one, I would recall if I had about another 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> you do remember. Oh, very well. Very now, well. Now, I took notes. How,
0: how does that experience transfer into what you do now? And tell... tell our podcast listeners a little bit what you you do what your responsibilities are
2: I do a number of things a lot of things related to sake I've written about half a dozen books on sake Uh, I publish a magazine called Sake World I write newsletters on it Uh, I also have a company that exports about 16 brands to the United States and the name of that company is? Uh, my company is Sake Connections okay it's imported by a company called Vine Connections which is in California gotcha Uh, furthermore When I started getting into sake, I realized that the people that sell it over here, meaning importers, distributors, retailers, restaurateurs, if they don't understand it, if they're intimidated about it, they're not going to try and sell it for us. So it'll all stop right there. Right. So I knew that those that actually sell it have to be better educated about it. So I created a course. I call it the Sake Professional Course, and it's geared towards professionals to make sake more approachable. And it's a three-day course that teaches everything you need to know about sake in three days with lots of tasting. Um, And that took off right away. What I mean by that, I put a lot of effort into it, Uh, but next month I'll be doing the 49th running of that course, Uh, but it's it's directed towards professionals. Where
0: do you host that course? I move it all around. Okay, so Uh, where's the next one going to be?
2: The next one will be in San Francisco.
0: Gotcha.
2: I do it in Japan every year and then a couple times in the U.S. every year.
0: So from the education piece and from the introduction to sake piece, what do you find... You know what gravitates towards you the most. You know what stands out through that educational process for you.
2: Do you mean what impresses me the most about sake? Or yeah,
0: I, I, and, I, and I guess when you meet people and you know you make that connection, whether right. they have that experience or not, what what, could, what what are the impressions? What stands out from there?
2: Without a doubt, it's what one of the things that got me really hooked on sake, and it is the thing that makes everybody shake their head in amazement and in in, 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 a, in, a, in a mode of appreciation. And that's the attention to detail that goes into the production. I mean, everybody knows how Japanese food, Japanese cuisine, there's incredible attention to detail to the smallest thing. And that carries through the way sake is made. Every single step of the brewing process can be done with such incredible attention to detail. Down to one half of one percent of moisture content in every single grain of rice. Down to making sure that every single grain of rice amidst a ton of them has the same enzymatic content in it, right? Uh, It's just amazing. And that's what impresses the people the most. And that's what impresses me the most. And that's what really makes people get hooked on sake. And that's what leads to the stories that makes everybody love sake and make it as easy to sell as it is.
0: In the United States, I would say you're a revolutionary. Bringing sake to the public, acknowledging the value traditions from the brewers in Japan, as well as what's now happening in the United States with Brooklyn Korra. When you look at that whole experience, where do you see sake in the United States going to or or the growth of it? It seems very, uh, infant; it's in its infancy stage, yes? Absolutely. And and you're leading, you're you're in a way, as as an author and a promoter, you're leading that. So where do you see sake, idea, brand, the brewers, where do you see that going?
2: I think I see it continuing in the same direction for a long time. In other words, there's so much more to grow. So few people really know anything about sake. There's so much education to do. So few places like Brooklyn Kura exist. And again, even the sake coming in from Japan, yeah, there's a lot coming in. But do you realize only about 4% of all sake made in Japan is exported?
0: No. I, yeah,
2: that's The United States takes about one quarter of that, about 25% of that. But if you look at, for example, French wine or Italian wine, between 30 and 40% of that country's, those countries' product is exported. 4%. The sake world has so much room to grow in that direction. So that's really what I see happening. Um, the other thing is, I've worked in the industry for 25 years now in Japan. And of course, the industry changes. Brewers try new things. You get a change of the garage. The younger brewers come in. They try this, they try that. And interestingly, lately, they've all gone back to more traditional brewing methods and slightly more subtle styles simply because they realize that they've been doing that way 800 years for a reason it's actually better. So brewers will push the envelope and then they'll come back to more traditional styles. Not that traditional styles are better for the sake of traditional styles. It's just like they've been drinking it that way 800 years for a reason. And I think brewers in Japan are seeing that. And it's probably going to happen in the United States too, I think. As people learn more about sake and explore some more types, I think they'll find themselves being gravitated gravitating toward and again even though I say traditional styles there's a whole range of traditional styles uh, but but real simple straightforward subtle stuff okay right I don't know how much time and you can edit this out later if you look at sushi right <laughs> yes in the United States we've got all kinds of sushi places with all kinds of funky rolls right this roll that roll if you go to a good sushi shop in Tokyo forget about it they're it's, not gonna it's have
0: just the fish it's it's a little bit of the marinade it's- it's actually the quality of the rice that really separates a good sushi restaurant, not what we do with a lot of the fried, and the, but that's what Americans like, though, right?
2: And it can be enjoyable. Yeah. But I think a lot of places that enjoy sushi here, a lot of good sushi restaurants here, are kind of moving back toward Edomaii, real simple, straightforward stuff, like you would enjoy in the, in, in, in the heartland, so to speak. And I think sake is going to go along the same path.
0: So, yeah, I mean, to, to kind of echo that thought, really... The detail that you spoke about, but the simplicity and the nuances versus trying to go too complex. Because when you take a sip of what you have here, you get the different slate layers and different flavors to enjoy. Right.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The the depth and the layeredness of sake I think is one of its greatest appeals.
0: So when you're sitting at home and enjoying a sake, is there anything that you prefer? Any any, any of your favorites besides the one that you represent? I'm sure every mm-hmm. one of them is your favorite.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've probably got about 50 favorites, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's going to depend on what I've drink recently, what I'm having for dinner, what the mood is, you know what I mean? What yeah. happened to in the refrigerator. Uh, so it's really hard for me to nail one particular favorite. Is um, there is mm-hmm. there
0: one from Japan that you haven't had yet that's that elusive sake that you say, I, I would always like to try that?
2: No, because I work in the industry. Okay, so I eventually get, to- get around oh. to everything. Okay. I mean, there's rice milled down to 1% to the extreme. I've had that too. I okay. mean, you know, I've had probably just about everything once or twice through my work. Okay. That doesn't mean I get to drink it on a regular basis. Yes. I <laughs> Is just there something can. I can't wait to get my hands on? No, but people are coming out with new stuff all the time. You know, new rices, new methods, uh, those, just products I haven't had. Okay. Um, curiously, I tend to like subtler styles more than ostentatious styles. Okay. Big fruity stuff, I'd rather have a simple stuff. As an example, my favorite beer in the world is Pilsner or Take that and apply that to my sake preferences and you'll know what I'm talking about. I understand. About. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we,
0: we've gotten this little education in sake. Um, how do people find you or, or how do people find your your publications? Where would they go if they want to learn more about you know, what you're doing and how you're educating people in sake?
2: My website is sakeworld with a hyphen. So sake-world.com. Okay. And everything I'm involved with is up there. Uh, I publish a magazine called Sake Today. And that's at saketoday.com. Okay. Uh, I'm actually co-publisher. I don't want my partner to cut my head off. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You can learn more about that publication there. But everything I've written and really on my site, there's lots of educational materials right there. Furthermore, I publish a free monthly newsletter. That they can sign up for on that site as well.
0: I think that would be great. I think the more people that become educated and find their way to uh, uh, Brooklyn Kura and learn more about sake, they'll really grow to love and enjoy the same passion that you have to drink more. And uh, you know, again, this has been an experience for me because of the you know fermented distilled products. Sake is something I've really never had, and so thank you for all you're doing, bringing bringing these products to the market and giving uh, at least my palate. A chance to try something and enjoy something different. So I really appreciate that.
2: Very much my pleasure. I'm happy to hear you're enjoying it.
0: Thanks, John. Appreciate it. much. John. Very much my pleasure. Bye-bye. So I'm with Brian, co-owner uh, co-owner of Brooklyn Kura. Brian, tell me about the name and and how you developed the name
3: Brooklyn Kura. That's interesting. It was it was uh, not a trivial process. We re- we really wanted something that represented um, the energy, enthusiasm, and craft quality of what we were producing, but also had a connection to Japan. And so Brooklyn, almost by definition, is a place um, that brings a lot of creative energy, um, a, has a connection to craft, and more than anything, is a place where there's like high consumer expectations of the products that are produced here. And so Brooklyn is an easy addition to any name we would have wanted or thought for. It's really like, it represents kind of the cultural qualities of our company. Um, and then Kura, Kura in Japanese, Is uh, a storehouse a place where valuables are stored in Japan it's also traditionally a place where um, soy, miso shochu um, sake are brewed and so in that kind of homage to Japan we wanted uh, a name that was recognizable and symbolic and ended with Brooklyn Korra. so what's your background? how did you find your way to sake? so I uh I used to work for American Express. I managed a product and technology organization. Before that, I was in different levels of management, but essentially I started out my career as a statistician or data scientist. Life was good, but I always had an interest in building something and defining a brand. And I have always had a passion for sake, but serendipitous meeting with Brandon in Japan in 2013 kind of the slow churn of making sake at home and discovering that we can make a better quality than we anticipated. Starting to learn about the market, convincing our, our loved ones that, that like, this is something that we're passionate about. Um, contributing personal capital, raising money,
0: building. So a- what, what was that like? Because you're in a market, I mean, breweries, if you say you're going to open up a brewery and you have the ability to show what your product is, there's a, there are a lot of people that want to be investors in a brewery distilleries, the newest thing on the market right now, there's a couple within, you know, this area where your brewery is, um, are new cideries, but when you mention a sake brewery yeah. beyond just talking to John, and there's a lot of education to that. What, what's that process like?
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I was fortunate enough to kind of, to I was fortunate enough to really have established a network, uh, individuals that were both professional investors or executives at companies in New York that were interested in learning what I wanted to do after leaving American Express. And then I also had been fortunate enough to kind of have some capital to bring to bear to put to this effort. The combination of contributing personal capital, uh, having a network of people that have confidence in us and our ability, trying to kind of venture into a market that is untapped. We are the first new york state sake brewery and our ambition is really to produce the best sake that people that we can and that people in new york have access to at at an affordable price and that's produced locally uh, in the same vein that like craft breweries and distilleries are trying to do trying to work and so the combination of those things was sufficient to convince people that this was a viable business opportunity and then it was about proving ourselves. So we raised money in stages. We started the company. Brandon came out from Portland. We had a small facility in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that we were using really to do a bunch of things, scale recipes, figure out what our supply chain needs to be, equipment sourcing, the legal and regulatory like obstacles that needed to be overcome, site selection. So all those kind of various verticals that we need to figure out in order to to execute on a project like this, we started to think about in real earnest in this small facility, while also brewing more sake. And then we were able to raise a second kind of round, pseudo round of capital, go into this larger facility, and when we came here, we knew what we wanted to build, we knew how we were going to source equipment, we knew how we were going to bring in supplies, we had a sense of the recipes we wanted to execute on, we knew and had already established relationships with members in the market, and like we had an idea of our branding and identity and the kind of ethos of the company we wanted to build, and so here we are. Because you say you're a brewery? Does that give you a
0: little bit more of an entree into the market without having to go through the same processes of, let's say,
3: what a distillery would have to go through? Yeah, so sake is brewed. Right. Now, it's a common misconception that it is distilled. Right. And that's really a function of the way it's been presented to people in the U.S. in small ceramic glasses. It's clear. It's a lower like grade of sake, typically industrial produced. So it's a little bit more astringent, a little boozier. and it, people think of it either warm or dropped in beers. So there's a common misconception that it's distilled. The reality is it's brewed. The federal government considers sake brewers to be like beer brewers. Right. New York State considers us to be a commercial winery. Um, for those people, that it's, are, it's interesting how the lens yeah. looks at you differently, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, our packaging is very much wine-like. Sake in general is distributed as a wine. There are some states that treat it differently. Um, but New York is not alone in treating us like a commercial winery. And so, so yeah, not being a distillery is a huge benefit because there's large like regulatory obstacles and costs to overcome, but we aren't distilled. So being treated as we should be uh, is something that is rewarding and took time. I, I, I think we may have been the first sake brewery given a commercial winery license in the state of New York as well, uh, which which was not easy, but achievable. What was that aha moment
0: for you when you realized, you, you, you said you, you had a little bit of a facility that you started with, but what was that aha moment for you when you knew you had something, when that passion that you, that, that you generated from Japan and being... In Japan, and drinking sake, what was that aha moment here for you that you knew you had something?
3: So, for me, it was pretty simple. When you go to Japan and you try local sakes, I had had exposure to the decibel sakaguras of New York City, which have a deep bench of sakes that are expensive, but fantastic. But when you take that trip to Japan and you try this drink, and you're like, why aren't people making this in the US? Now, there are people making in the US and I didn't know that at the time, but like when you visited a brewery in Japan and you see the craftsmanship and the care that goes into the product, it's really difficult not to see opportunity. I mean it feels like there's a market asymmetry or kind of something impeding people that love craft quality things like fine wine and craft beer and craft liquors from enjoying the potential of sake or from pursuing sake as something that they, they substitute their beer, or wine, and, and just spirits with. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's I, it's almost trivial. Now, that doesn't mean there's a business here. That doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to be successful. So, so for you, um, when did you know you had the flavor you were
0: looking for and you said, this is, this is a business. This is what we can bring not only to Brooklyn, to New York and those that come through the area and want to take a bottle of what we're brewing home and share it with their friends. What was that aha moment like for
3: you? So it really was when we were home brewing. Brandon was in Portland. I was in Brooklyn. And we would press these small five-gallon batches and we were making good sake. So then it's a matter of like, okay, with the right investment at scale, maybe we can make very good sake that people will actually be motivated to come out and do exactly what you said with um, and and then it was like developing our confidence, going from home brewing to a small scale facility going from the small scale facility to where we are today um, which is still small in the scheme of things very small um, and every day there's no necessarily recipe that's fixed i mean brandon is continuously tinkering. With the way we make sake, sake, both from a process perspective, but also from a ingredients uh, perspective, um, and so it's like this continuous evolution. It's trying to make the best product that we can, but at the same time making it approachable, affordable, and engaging enough to get new people to come drink. Was there a moment for
0: you, or a moment for you and Brandon together, when you, you know, was was that was there a worse moment, like a batch didn't work out, or? something that you thought was going to come to fruition was there like you kind of took a deep breath and took a stop and said i don't know if i want to do this
3: um so there have been practical business challenges i mean money people partnership can always be a challenge um but the reality is we've always believed in what we were trying to do and what we want to achieve and we've I I mean, I'm pretty realistic. The batches are going to fail. Customers are going to be either super excited or not. Uh, Our market's going to grow at a rate or not, right? Like we we're we're eyes wide open that this is a new market um, that we're trying to have an impact on, and it requires a lot of change to happen for us to be successful. In addition to us being able to produce something of a quality that people are excited about. And so there's a lot of uncertainty there, and sometimes things don't go well, but on the majority, we've, like, on average, we know we keep working hard, we maintain our integrity, we try and include people in the industry and in what we're doing and championing and champion their products. Like the event, like we're doing tonight. Yeah, like yeah. what we're doing tonight. We're championing Japanese producers that we think make fantastic sake that we hope everyone will buy. Um, and so if we keep that ethos, it's like hard not to see us being successful. It's just I a degree of success.
0: I think one of the things that you talked about is, let's say you have a customer that comes in, really in their mind, they've only had that warm sake, or as you pointed out, like a sake bomb beer. or something like that, in beer. I think you almost have to ask them to remove any sort of knowledge of what they have yeah, from their palate. And, and in my experience was very recent again to this type of experience that you're providing, we you just have to stop and say: first thing is, bring it to your palate, and and allow your palate to be just cleansed first, and then you get to experience that the depth, the layers, the experience yep. of it. And, and I think that's the other part about what you know you and
3: Brendan are doing as far as re-education on how to drink sake. Yeah, right. Yeah, we present our sake in wine glasses. Yeah. Um, we 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 fill kegs and distribute them. Um, I talk about sake in really a wine language, uh, but I'm also a very, I'm not very sophisticated. I mean, I like things that I enjoy, that are well-made, and that taste good. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Southern California.
0: In Southern California. Yeah. And so, do you still have family there?
3: I do, all, all throughout the U.S. So, you
0: said, uh, my family, hey, listen, uh, we love, we, I got the sake bug, I, I love it, I'm opening up a brewery. And their response was... You know
3: <laughs> So I think people know that I'm not a reckless person. Right. And even though this is a high risk exercise, I mean we've been very thoughtful in taking the steps that that, that I believe are necessary for us to be successful. And so my family, while they think this is ridiculous and surreal, um they understand, and my friends understand that like I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think we had the skill and ability and the, and the means to get it done. So I, yeah, I everybody mean, is surreal. Like I still like go to a restaurant and open one of our bottles, and like it's just like it's I'm overwhelmed oftentimes that we even have a physical product that a consumer can buy at a restaurant or a wine shop, take home or enjoy with their meal. And like, come away with a positive experience. It, like, blows my mind.
0: If you go back to that, you know, growing up in Southern California, the idea of telling your friends, hey, someday I'm going to own a sake brewery in Brooklyn, it it wasn't even on any kind of idea in your mind. I mean,
3: it's, it's, it's not even, yeah, the reality that I live in today, I could have never predicted. I never would have tried. But yeah, it's fun. It's like New York City, industry city. So the place that we have our brewery is this fantastic collection of makers, artists, corporates um, that are bringing jobs to Sunset Park. Um, And so I'm surrounded by people. It's very different than the kind of many times Ivy educated, like type A, like driven corporate folk in my life in the past. Right. It's like there's so many creatives that are passionate about what they're doing and, like, excited to see people interact with their products. And, like, I don't know. I couldn't ask for more.
0: So let me ask you a couple more questions. I know you have to get back to the event yeah. we're doing here. So what is uh, – Brooklyn and Kura, what, what's the future look like five years out? What, what are you looking to accomplish? What I are mean, you...
3: we, we want people to be excited about side I think the more people that we can touch in our taproom or through our distribution with a product that is familiar, that they can expect something high quality from, uh, the more people that I think will give sake another chance. And so, over the next five years, I see us doing that with more product, kind of in more places, and with more support from distributors, both locally, nationally. And so, it's, it's really that. We have, we're expanding our space um, to increase our brewing capacity. And we're, we're trying to increase the level and quality of partners that we have to do cool things like introduce sake in the context of beer and spirits, but also work with a range of different restaurant partners. And it's just accelerating that and multiplying that across beyond New York Metro. That's exciting. So how do people find Brooklyn Court? So you can find us online. You can find us in our taproom in Brooklyn, Sunset Park. You can find us in a range of different restaurants and retailers throughout New York City, um, now in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. You can call us anytime, and I'll probably pick up, um, and I can direct you anywhere in your local area that has Brooklyn So the website is? Uh, It's uh, www.brooklynpura.com
0: and on Instagram you are uh, we are at Brooklyn yeah. at, and the same thing with Facebook and on social media I'm excited I really appreciate the time you took to spend time with us yeah. on the podcast it's uh, our pleasure we're, you know, I, this is why I enjoy doing the podcast because I get to introduce people that may not have any knowledge or experience like sake or in the craft industry and it gives me a chance to meet great people like you guys so thank you very much That's our pleasure. I appreciate. Yep. See Thanks, too much you. doing cool. appreciate it right. thank you so much Bye-bye. bye bye Monica This has been a great event. Thank you so much for inviting Fermented Adventure, the podcast, here. We really enjoyed meeting all of the sake brewers and the representatives, but I really wanted to spend some time speaking to you and, you know, talk a little bit about what you do. You were the first person that we got introduced to sake. You did an event in Bryn Mawr at Margaret Quo's, and I was so impressed with your knowledge of sake and the way you spoke about sake. How, How did you get introduced to sake?
4: Well, um, my first language is Japanese. My mom is born and raised in Japan, and um, when I was growing up, my grandfather actually worked in a sake brewery, and back then it was... Which brewery was it? It was a brewery that's gone out of business. um, And back then it was not a very prestigious job. Um, Premium sake has only been commercially available in Japan since 1991, so this was way before that. Um, the sixties and seventies. And it was, he had been discharged from World War II and there was really not a lot of work that he could do. And so, so it was always, I always knew when I was growing up that it was a very honest job. Um, and it was extremely backbreaking labor. And, um, I loved working in restaurants. I went to this college for marketing, but I, Always worked in restaurants and I always worked at Japanese restaurants because since I could communicate with the chef it was a really easy way to get a job and uh, as I I would always do that at night gradually like bartending managing while trying to hold down regular nine-to-five jobs during the day and uh, sake became my thing because I could read the labels and I could read things that would tell me So
0: you you were really able to communicate that the sake to those that weren't familiar with it essentially Right. right?
4: first I got into it, the more I realized how special it is and how much, how humble Japanese people are. Like, they, they don't really, it's not, it's, it's not considered an uh, appropriate thing to do to really, like, they don't talk both. with folks, right? right? So I could be this cheerleader for this category that was so underappreciated in the U.S. And so, um, it's a much longer story. There's a lot of certifications and exams and different things involved, but that—that that is the, the reason that I got into Osaka.
0: So what are you doing now to promote sake? What is you know? What are your daily activities? What are you doing? Um,
4: I'm doing a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm importing sake in all fifty states and Canada. Um, You're
0: doing a lot of traveling throughout the United States, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's,
4: um, I oversee all of North America, so it's I'm on the road constantly. I'm really not. Uh, it's it's a very rare thing that I'm in New York today.
0: So what are your impressions? What are people's responses when they taste? some of these premium sakes that they've never really tried before?
4: They're excited, but it's one of those things where they have this great sake and then they just don't feel confident. So it's it's a lot of hand-holding, which we're very happy doing. Um, I mean, it's a lot of education and support and making... And, and just really... Like putting the bottle in people's hands, like you can't expect that people are just going to drink it because they've had it once. It was delicious. It's it's a lot more work than that. And
0: in the next couple of years, what are your aspirations for sake? What do, what would you like to do with what you're doing and how you're bringing that? I would say to the United States.
4: Well, we've been importing sake in all fifty states since two thousand one, and um, we've grown at double digit percentages every single year, um, even in two thousand nine when the economy totally crashed. So. I mean, I think the
0: future is really bright. Um, We're just going to try to keep doing what we've been doing. Okay. This is, again, I I just, I'll boast on you because I think you're extremely bright and and I love your passion and excitement for when you talk about sake. That was one of the things that came through to me initially. Um, You know, we learned so much at that dinner that I said, I need to know more. And, and I, I just wanted to have an opportunity to speak to you. What, what do you think you really want to, you know, what would you like people to know more about sake that they don't know now? Or if they haven't had it, what should they be trying? What, what, you, what would you say would be a good place for them to start? Beyond, we, we, we've talked to so many people tonight about, hey, a korea from sake in a Japanese restaurant, a sushi bar where they heat it up. And that's their experience. But what should people know about the introduction to sake? What should they be trying?
4: So my response is a little more advanced than the of Sake Heat event. Um, I think we've come pretty far from there, but I think that most people have had sake and they really like the bright, fresh, pretty sakes. And there's a much more interesting world beyond that of more complex... Very high umami, very soulful, high acid sakes that are much more... Now, when more you say
0: umami, remind remind our listeners and me what, what that is. Um, it's the
4: fifth sense. It's okay. an extra sense sensation of savory. That
0: was one of the things that you said at that dinner that just, oh, like, that's something I'd never heard before. And that really just overwhelmed
4: me. So that was great. Um, yeah, and so there's just a much more interesting side of it, and it can be as complex and challenging as the best wines in the world. Um, and I think people just think sake goes with sushi, but I think I would love for people to take it a little more seriously.
0: So where would so when you talk about food pairing, where would you know where would you start to say people need to look at sake as a food pairing?
4: Cheese. Cheese. Hundred percent.
0: Okay, and just then try it. and then you'll, maybe you'll we talk to uh, one of the brewers, one of the representatives about oysters and maybe seafood and things like that, right?
4: But cheese.
0: But cheese. Okay. Yeah. All
4: right. Oysters and seafood is too easy. All right. And cheese is a much better pairing
0: that is all right. so I can't wait to get my sake and start doing cheese with that that'll be great
4: you're not sold on it now but
0: when you try it you'll believe me no I I, I am I I can't wait I am sold I just want to thank you so much again for introducing us to Brooklyn Kura to all the really nice people that we got a chance to meet tonight I just thank you so much for this opportunity you so much for coming yeah Yeah. it's a
4: pleasure to have you
0: thank you so much so what's your name my name is Takuya Nami and tell me which sake are you
5: representing today which brewery are you representing Uh, Aso. So my brewery is Nambu Shizoujo, Nambu Sake Brewery, and so it's from uh, Fukui Prefecture, yes. Okay,
0: so how did you get, your family is brewers of sake,
5: so how many generations? Uh, Actually, so I will be... Next 10th generation. Okay. Because uh, my brewery is established in 73. 1733. 1733 yeah. is
0: when your family established your brewery. Yes. Wow. So when did you know that
5: you were going
0: to be a sake brewer?
5: Uh, when I was a high school student. Okay. So do it again. So when I was a child.
0: Tell me about the sake we're trying. What is this sake?
3: Uh, this sake name is uh, Kimoto Chumai, and so Kimoto means uh, made, uh, made using traditional process sake. It's uh, uh, most traditional type of sake uh,
5: made processed sake. And so it's uh, aged two years. Aged two years. What but is it? it what is, what is, how, what's the aging age. process? Is it aged in something? Is at room temperature. Okay. In the tan. sake tan. Two years. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, this is delicious. Thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing what you do. Thank, Thank, you. So Thank you. I am here to try your sake. Tell me about your brewery. So, our brewery is focused on making
6: a Jumaida ginger, which is the highest quality of salmon. And so, that to make a Jumaida ginger, you
5: have to polish. The sake rice to under 50
6: percent alcohol. So our company is focusing on making the gourmet
5: job. So how did you get involved with sake? How
0: did
6: I? How
5: did you get involved with sake? Get
6: involved? In yes. Love. Yes. Is this your family or? Oh, actually, so I graduated from the uh, Culinary Institute of America in You Florida. did? Okay. Yeah. So, actually, uh, uh CIA and uh, our group, is going to build a new already uh, near the school. Okay. So, that's how I get involved with the Vasai
5: and, yeah.
0: So, you love sake. I mean, what is it about it that it appeals
6: to you?
5: <laughs> Oh so I actually got my
6: certification of soccer only when I was 21. Because I think that was quite early. And because like I used to make in a Sushi. I work at a sushi restaurant okay. the food, and I yeah. like naturally you know, like, get like know about
0: sake as well because always sake and sushi are very like, good combination. That's how I get in
5: know
6: about sake. Well. So, so let me ask you, what is it that you enjoy about sake? It's You can enjoy uh, with uh, even like western food, cheese, and other like your chocolate, even Japanese food. They're more like variety, you know, and also once it's very funny because like you get so much like kind of different taste. But the ingredients are always the same like uh, rice water and yeast but it makes so much different taste that's
5: what I makes so so much like exciting okay can okay. we try your sake of course please
0: so this is delicious thank you very much <laughs> tell me about this tell me about the flavor profile that you that you and the brewer are looking for
6: so this 23 uh, this is actually the highest quality among the German it's our very uh, fruity. Uh, this profile is clean and uh, aromatic. It's very fruity. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of like bot- botanical fruity. Um, and the clean like taste is very uh, much cleaner. And you're not gonna get bored. <laughs>
0: this is delicious. Thank you so much.
7: Thank you so much.
0: So, what sake are we sampling right now?
7: Yeah. My, yeah. So, this sake is Junmai Tai, and my name is
8: Shared Promise. And, uh, this sake has a dry, uh, dry
5: taste, but little
8: sweetness. The sweetness comes from rice umami
5: taste,
8: and uh, uh, this sake is good for drinking with dishes, like the meat dishes is very good.
0: Cool. Okay. Uh,
8: this sake name is shared promise, uh, Japanese name is shuhai. Uh, shuhai is... Uh, this? is Japanese traditional cup drink sake. Really? Yes. Yeah. It's special day, for some day for another, uh, so some phone number ready. So we we use this as a special date. So this token name
4: is Shared Promise. There's more of a, if I can interrupt. There's more of a historical story behind this too. Her family was the first brewery to make Junmai sake after World War II, and the reason that that's so important is that there was a huge rice shortage in Japan surrounding World War One and II and the trade wars, and so uh, the amount of rice each brewery could use was really highly allocated. So to make a profit, you had to add a lot of added alcohol to the sake to make to make liquid, you know. And so after the rice shortage recovered, her family, her brewery was the first one to decide that it was time to make to, to raise the level of sake. So they made the first pure rice sake after World War II. So that shared promise is like uh, packed with all other craft sake makers to rise rise up to this higher level of making premium sake.
5: That's fascinating. Thank you,
0: Thank so, you much. so much.
4: <laughs>
5: Brewery, but I, I represent the You brewery. represent the brewery. Yes. So, what's your name? get Shiguro.
0: I love that name.
8: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: You. So, tell me about the brewery that you represent.
8: Uh, this is the second from Hiroshima Prefecture, and Hiroshima is the famous for the oyster. For uh, the oyster? Oyster. Okay. Yeah, this second goes well with oyster, very well with the, uh, with the seafood. And uh, this sake made of the human sake master. This is a picture of her. Her name is Miho. Yes.
0: Now, let me ask you a question. Yes. How many brewery or sake masters are women?
8: I believe right now maybe 30 in, in all Japan.
5: Out of all? All Japan, yes. Out of all the breweries, yes. 30. So that's very yes. unique, isn't it? Yes, because um, before world war, women not allowed to get in the brewery.
8: Because uh, on, on, only men can make sake. But during the World War, the men, all men went to the war, right. so no one can make sake. That's why women start making sake. But it's very rare. So right now, uh, about Sari people, but when she start making sake, maybe she's the one of the first women to start making sake.
1: She's the first one. I
8: mean, because uh, her father, this is the fourth generation, so she's the fourth generation person and a sake master. But she continued her family business. Her brother was president, but she took over her father's business. And, and how
0: long has she been brewing sake? I, you I know? think
8: almost twenty years.
0: Wow! So she's a master. Yes,
8: she knows. She knows yes, what she's doing. She's a sake master. Okay. So
0: how did you get introduced in the sake?
8: How did you did you learn?
0: get introduced in the sake? Uh,
8: but Actually, I'm working on all sake brewery in this
0: group. Okay. So
8: I started the business 20 years ago.
0: Did you study sake or you just really oh, liked yes,
8: it? Yes, I studied sake, yes. Okay. Yes. I, I uh, went to one of the brewery the Shimane Prefecture. One month I stayed there to learn how to make sake. Okay. About month.
0: That's
5: fun. Yes. Can we try it? Sure.
0: So this goes up. That's delicious. Yeah,
8: it's different. This is very smooth. Yeah. My. You know, I can taste
0: because you said the oysters. Mm-hmm. I can almost taste the briny, the brininess of the oyster in in the flavor of the sake. in the
8: sake. Yeah, I,
0: I can. I can. It almost has that presence yeah. of
8: it. Yeah. Well, it goes well with oysters,
0: and I see. I can see why. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So, we're here with, what's your name? My name is Joe What's What's the sake we have here today? Oh, uh, 18th generation Ihei. 18th generation? Ihei. Ihei. My grandfather's name. This is something... You're the president of this
5: company? Yes. Of and, the and, 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 and of how long? Uh, about 10 years. 10 years. Ten years. Yeah. So, can we try it? No. Finish. Ah. Finished. Oh, no!
0: There's nothing there! Eight. Hey. Oh. We missed it. You're right. I'm sure it was delicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was nice to meet you. Thank you so much.
5: Yeah.
0: Right. So, I'm here with Jessica, right? Yes. Jessica, what do you want to talk about today?
7: I want to talk about sake.
0: Let's talk about sake. Okay. So, tell me about the sakes that you represent.
7: So, um, I actually work for a PR company called Sake Discoveries. And okay. that we represent over 13 different <laughs> Um, but
5: today I to featuring
7: Mount Now, tell me about this?
5: Subject. So, is from it, it translates to Southern Beauty. So, funny enough, it's actually from the North. Okay, and it, it translates into
7: Southern, Southern Beauty. I love that. Yeah, so, I always tell people that Southern Beauty is a Biji. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is a beautiful sake. And uh um, to right,
5: style. Okay. So how did you come to the world of satay? I was looking at things. What is it about it that brought you to satay? Well, you, to be you, honest, you, it's not Japanese, it's not Japanese, it's not So I moved here, I to college, and
7: worked at
5: a Japanese
7: restaurant.
5: So that I, was it? I, and then I was more curious
7: about some of it because I never teach such a beautiful treat. Like of course everybody knows cocktails and wines and spirits, but specifically when I had Mount Fuji Daijiro, I was that was my. Now what, the, what did you just say?
5: What does that mean? That means you, I had my epiphany moment where you know when you have a glass and you're like. Is that a Japanese
7: wood bar? Yeah, it was a Nokomiji daikin.
5: Okay, so that's what we're going to try today? Well, I don't have a daikin, but I do like have the Nokomiji nova. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what do you see? And yeah. you represent a number of breweries. So, where do you uh, see growth in the United States to brew sake? What are yeah. you looking yeah. yeah. for yeah. to help accomplish this in the American palace for sake?
7: Well first up, I want to make something more accessible. Okay. Um, I have this specific
5: title called Miss Sagan USA. You are? Yes. I had for the I I'm interviewing him yeah. for the podcast, Miss yeah. Sagate yeah. USA. Yes. I just want thing that Well they
7: we only had the competition once, okay. but it was basically an impressive like, to stuff. spread awareness, right? And so for me I always wanted to be the bridge because okay. Identify myself a Japanese American. What can I do to bring these two amazing cultures? And like, when you really think about it, you have to eat and drink to
5: live, right? And sake is such a niche market in
7: which there's so much history in so Japanese culture that I really should be explained. Like nowadays, obviously, wine is so, you know, They export so much of their wine. Yeah. But sake, the, the stories.
5: And it's not just too much like that angel or angel or sparkly, it's the true stories, the spirits, the believers
7: that make something for me, is that if you're at a wine shop or restaurant, you're going to tell the world.
5: And that's what happened to me, and I felt like I could be there. I love so how it seems to say as we can, because there's a real passion there. So what would happen if you didn't discover Saké?
7: So I would have been there still because I only left it about 2 years ago okay, no, you so I would
5: have been sitting at my desk getting the paycheck right. so one of the things I find is when you yeah. possibly walk in in the, in the story industry in the brewery industry you know, nobody really expected you to be doing anything related to yeah. the sharing, yeah. boring, yeah. all that nobody, nobody wakes up thinking
7: that this is so I think everybody has a certain interaction and trigger that makes them want to be a part of something. And I think specifically for me, it was my heritage is that.
5: Sorry. 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 Like, it's be the so, what, what did your family yes. say when you were around yeah, your type? Baby. I think there were definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think
7: there was a good type because, again, I think share those types and communicate that efficiently. And I think a lot of times that barrier is really tough because a lot of, especially tech
5: very tough to translate. Yeah. I felt like I that. so I'm excited. Thank you so much for your time. I really Thank you. you so much. You